The text for this afternoon's sermon is John 1, the verses 43 to 51. John 1, beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thus far, our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in my own congregation over the last number of weeks, I've been going through different passages in the Gospels, and each passage uh, contains or focuses on some kind of response to the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus went about in Judea and in Galilee, he came across many people, he did many things, and People responded to him in different ways. You can see that throughout the Gospels as you read Scripture. And those reactions that people had to the Lord Jesus Christ in that time, they are not unique to that time period when the Lord Jesus walked upon the earth. Now, each person's response to the Lord Jesus shows us something of the human heart. And so these different reactions to Christ in Scripture, they speak also to our own hearts. You see, no person, including us, can remain neutral when it comes to Jesus Christ. We will respond to him in one way or another. And how we respond to Christ is the most important thing you will do in your life. So, as we, as we read the Gospels, we see right ways to respond to Christ and wrong ways by God's grace and the working of the Holy Spirit. As we, as we see a response to Jesus Christ, we will take the right path. Respond in the right way to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the, first, the first passage I, I preached on in that series, in this series, is taken from the Gospel of John, our text this afternoon. The main character besides Christ himself is a man named Nathaniel. 
And his first reaction to hearing about Christ is pure skepticism. And we could even say cynicism. This problem is not only limited to Nathaniel. Maybe at times we might struggle that same way too, or we know someone who struggles that same way. Even if it's not outright skepticism, maybe it's just plain doubt. You know, is Christ really who he says he is? Can he, can he really do what he claims to do? Maybe we all struggle with that at times, but by God's grace, this can be overcome. And so I preach to you God's word this afternoon and the following theme and points. Uh, from skepticism to faith, Christ convinces a doubter of his true identity. And we have three points. First of all, the skeptic's doubts. Second of all, Christ's convincing words. And third, our connection to God. So our text is the last part of John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 is, is full of many different things. It begins with a complex introduction to the book and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it moves to John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus John proclaimed to the crowds about Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then after his baptism, Jesus began his public ministry in Israel. Now in John's gospel, this begins with with Christ calling his first disciples. This included Andrew, probably John, and, and Simon Peter. And then that brings us to our text. There we read, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now the text does not describe Philip's response in great detail. But all indications suggest that Philip followed Jesus without any hesitation. And Philip, in his enthusiasm, he just, he had to tell others. And so after finding Nathanael, he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now that might, that might sound like a strange description. Moses and the prophets, they wrote about a lot of people, of course. And yet Philip is referring to somebody special. All the Jews knew that that God promised in the Old Testament scriptures to send the Messiah. And Moses and the prophets, they proclaim this in so many ways. Only one example is God's covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7. God promised David that one of his sons would sit on his throne forever. And the Jews rightly took this to mean the Messiah. He would set things right again. He would save God's people from all their enemies. And the Jews, of course, had waited so long for this Messiah to come. Perhaps some of them were getting a little bit jaded after years of waiting. And yet, in faith, Philip goes to Nathanael and he boldly tells him, We have found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. We must understand that this should be, this would be, the greatest news you could ever tell an Israelite. You're telling me, Philip, 
that you have actually found the Christ. That's amazing. Tell me who he is. Let me meet him, please. But notice that Philip does not stop there. He adds these words at the very end, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And actually, the, the original Greek it puts the word Nazareth at the very end of the sentence for dramatic effect. We could translate it like this. We have found the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And upon hearing that, Nathaniel let out one big guffaw. Nazareth? Nazareth? You're telling me, Philip, that you found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth. You can almost hear Nathaniel saying, that's just too much, Philip. It's just too much. Why did Nathaniel respond this way? Well, Nazareth was located in northern Israel in the region of Galilee. Nestled in some hilly terrain away from any main road or highway. This was backwater Israel. No famous Israelite in scripture ever came from Nazareth. Now Philip just told Nathanael that the Christ had come, the king of Israel, the one who would save Israel, and he was from Nazareth. Well, Nathanael was skeptical of that claim, to say the least. And so you hear the sarcasm oozing out of his voice as he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nathanael's response perhaps characterizes much of Israel's response to Christ. The Gospel of John already stated in John chapter 1, the Son of God came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Many Israelites had this same skeptical attitude about Christ. They saw Jesus during his ministry. Many just could not believe in him. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. This is the Savior we've been waiting for. Just didn't seem right. Jesus just seemed too normal, too plain, too weak. In John chapter 7, the Pharisees reasoned the same way as Nathaniel. Nicodemus said to the, his fellow Pharisees, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They reply to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Besides all this, Christ was eventually crucified on the cross. And in the mindset of the Israelites, this is the very last thing that would ever happen to the Christ. Dying on a cross meant somebody was cursed by God. How could the Messiah be under God's curse? He was supposed to be the most blessed ruler, greater than Solomon. And so many Israelites, they rejected Jesus Christ in their hearts. This is a skepticism many in our world hold on to. People often scoff at the claims of the Bible. You believe in Genesis 1. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He did all those miracles and actually rose from the dead. And you can tell people, yes, I wholeheartedly believe those truths. But many still often scoff. Skeptics claim that these sorts of truths can't be known. The skeptic might say, I won't believe it until I see it. Give me some kind of proof. But you know what? Perhaps we might struggle with this sort of thing at times too. And maybe you've gone through a period of, of severe questioning. Maybe you do have nagging doubts that you feel are just so hard to shake. Maybe there is part of you who feels it's all too good to be true. Maybe you even fall into that cynicism. Can, can God's promises really be true for me? It's especially when you're struggling that these doubts can arise. These sorts of things are not limited to Nathaniel or his time. Brings us to our next point. Now, Nathaniel can hardly believe Philip's words, and yet Philip just calmly replied, Come and see. This is the steady faith of a believer in the, in the face of a scoffer. You know, someone might scoff at you for your Christian beliefs, maybe at university, maybe at work, but don't be shaken by them. Let's respond like Philip in confidence. Come and see. Philip took Nathanael to Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Oh, Nathanael's curiosity was piqued at Jesus' words, and so he responded, How do you know me? Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, before we get to Nathanael's astonishment, it's good to say a few things about Jesus' words. Notice that he doesn't try to plead with Nathaniel to believe in him. He doesn't try to reason with him about, yes, I, you know, why I'm the Christ, these are all the reasons, I'm the promised Messiah. No, he just speaks the truth. He speaks it plainly and unwaveringly. You know, Nathaniel was the loud skeptic. Can anything good out, come out of Nazareth? Christ doesn't tiptoe around him. He's not ashamed to speak the truth. No, Nathaniel thought Christ will have to prove himself. He probably went with Philip thinking he was going to laugh some more. But look at how Christ speaks. He speaks in such a way as to say, No, Nathaniel, you can get on this train or you can stay off, but this is the truth, and if you refuse to believe, you are going to miss out. That's how Christ speaks in the Gospels. He never wavers in what he says. He never second-guesses himself. He makes his claims with absolute certainty. And when he speaks to people, he always calls people in the most matter-of-fact way to believe in him and to follow him. And he speaks with such authority that it's clear that to ignore his call, to ignore his words, is simply foolish. 
Jesus Christ speaks the truth, there's simply no two ways about it. And for us here, we need never be ashamed of His words or, or any of the words of the Bible. You know, you might come across someone in this world who speaks as if the claims of the Bible were shaky or uncertain or that you need to prove them to that person. And sometimes we might be prone to think the skeptics of the world have the upper hand when it comes to matters of faith. But it's not true. The skeptics' claims about the world should be the ones that are on trial, not Christ or his words. And you need never be ashamed of what the Bible says. Not at the workplace, not at university, not wherever you go. Doesn't matter how smart a person you are talking with, doesn't matter. The Bible is true. The claims of Christ are certain. Stand firm on these words. Well, in fact, you're not the one who should be on the defensive. The skeptics should be. Stand firm on the, on the truth of God's word. And we do well to respond to the skeptics of this world with the same calm invitation that Philip gave to Nathaniel. Come and see. Right? Come, read the Bible for yourself. Come and read about the works of Jesus of Nazareth and his words. You cannot remain unchanged. This, is, this type of approach is what changed the heart of a woman named Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. And I know that's a, quite the name. Who is she? Well, she is a former professor of women's studies at Syracuse University, where she specialized in queer theory. She lived in, a, in an ungodly relationship and actively wrote against Christian beliefs. Then in, late in, the, in the late 1990s, in response to some of her writing, Reformed Presbyterian pastor Ken Smith began conversing with her in a friendly manner. As research for a writing project... Oh, and Pastor Ken Smith calmly challenged some of her beliefs, pointing her to the Bible. And as research for a writing project, Rosaria began reading large chunks of Scripture. And it was through that reading of Scripture that the Holy Spirit converted her to Christ. It wasn't easy, it did not happen quickly. Finally, she broke. And for Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, it was a matter of a Christian lovingly inviting her to come and see. Come and see these words and works of Christ. Let us invite others in the same way. Pray that God will change their minds. And this certainly happened to Nathaniel. He heard Jesus' words, and all his doubts were, were destroyed. He had asked Christ, how do you know me? Jesus responded, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Clearly, Jesus had power that Nathaniel had never seen or heard before, and so he exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Nathaniel 
was convinced. See, the scoffer and the skeptic can be changed. This also shows that not everyone comes to the certainty of faith in the same way. Right? In John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, and he compared the work of the Spirit to the wind. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? It's, often it's not easy to pinpoint when the wind starts blowing. Sometimes a wind just hits you suddenly with a big gust. Sometimes it begins with the slightest of breezes that you can barely feel. And this is the difference we see in different people coming to faith in Christ. Sometimes it's a very slow progression over a long time. And for others, it's a sudden turnaround where the Spirit instantly converts someone. Some of you may never even remember a time where you were not a believer. Parents taught you the faith, and you just accepted it. For others, maybe you can pinpoint the exact day and hour when you became a Christian. And for Philip in our text, it seems there was hardly any resistance at all. The Holy Spirit gave him an open heart, and he simply believed in Christ. Nathaniel was different, but his deep skepticism gave way to sudden faith. We should keep this in mind when we point others to Christ and the Bible. For some people, it might be a long process of nurturing the seed of faith until, after many years, finally it blooms. For others, perhaps they are changed in a moment. The point is that the Holy Spirit can change anyone's heart. It doesn't matter how hardened an unbeliever someone might have been. It doesn't matter if someone's grown up in the church all their life and have always struggled with doubt. The Holy Spirit can bring anyone to faith. Sadly, many people in Israel did not come to faith as Nathaniel did, and they continued scoffing at Christ. That was the worst mistake they ever made. We need to make sure we don't make that same mistake. Do not hold on to skepticism. Do not hold on to doubt. The Bible is true. Christ's words are sure. He really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Put your faith in Him. If you struggle with doubt, I invite you, even urge you to, to put those doubts in a box. Put a lid on that box and put that box away. I'm not saying that will be easy. But put your faith in Christ. You will never regret it. You will be saved. Brings us to our last point. What a blessing for Nathaniel that God did bring him to faith. The Savior of the world was standing right in front of him. And now he sees clearly, now he believes firmly. 
Christ did not stop there. Notice what he says next. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a, an example of the astonishing language that Jesus used. See, no one ever spoke like Christ did. No one. No one in the entire world. Now, who is this? You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But here again, Christ speaks without apology, with full authority. And Nathaniel, you had better not twiddle your thumbs here because you don't want to miss this. Now, we might still wonder, you know, why does the Lord Jesus say this? What's he talking about? Well, he's referring to a story we read from Genesis 28. Jacob was fleeing from Esau. And on his journey, one night he lay down to sleep. And while he was sleeping, Jacob dreamed a dream. Behold, a large ladder or staircase reached up to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And the Lord himself stood above it and spoke to Jacob. Now, in our text, Jesus says, Nathanael will see the angels ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on the Son of Man, referring to himself. What's he saying? Well, the staircase in Jacob's dream connected heaven and earth. Heavens were opened, and the staircase led from heaven to earth and back up again. It was the connection point to God. And the staircase pointed ahead to our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christ will say later to the Jews in John 5, You diligently search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All of the scriptures point to Jesus Christ. Also, Jacob's dream in Genesis 28. Christ is saying, I am your connection to God. I'm the one who gives you access to heaven. Come to me that you may have life, eternal life. Christ gives us access to heaven. There's simply no other way. There's simply no other connection to God but through him. He says later on in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's interesting to note that after Jacob woke up, he exclaimed, This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He was excited. He found God's house on earth and the gate to heaven. And these things are both true of Jesus Christ. He's the true house, the true temple of God. In fact, he, make, he makes this very claim in the next chapter, John 2, where he calls his own body the temple of God. He is the house of God on earth. And Christ is also the gate of heaven. Through Christ, we have access to God's own throne room. 
Christ told Nathanael that he would see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When did Nathanael see this? Well, we're not entirely sure. Could be that Nathanael simply saw it with the eyes of faith as Christ hung from the cross. On the cross, Christ was suspended between heaven and earth. It was at that moment he was giving us access to heaven as our sins were paid for by his blood. Well, could be. The important thing is that the substance of what Christ says is true. Put your faith in him. You will find access to God through him. The important question is, do you see Christ as this staircase? Or are you trying to build your own way to heaven? Put your faith in him. As he says in John 20, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 79.